part three regarding the filling of the Holy Spirit, but this one focuses on retaining the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so if you've missed the previous two, um, some of this may not gel entirely because it is part three of, of three regarding the filling of the Holy Spirit, although some of it will get reviewed as we go. We have noticed in, in the previous ones there were special instances where the Holy Spirit filled people for various reasons, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, but also we've noticed the context. I think last time we looked at the context of the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a command, and it's a passive command. In other words, it's not one that you fulfil in the sense, but you make yourself available uh, to have it done to you. Uh, and you've got to meet the conditions. Uh, some of you may notice I had a haircut this week. I didn't cut my own hair, but I went to the hairdressers, I paid him the money, I sat in his chair, and he cut my hair. And that's the, the, the idea of being the command to be filled with the Spirit of God is you meet the conditions and then the Spirit of God will fill you. And uh, over this message, uh, we'll look at some of the, the things that can get in the way of that, so how you can know whether you're filled or not. Uh, in the next uh, time I speak to you, we'll, we'll be talking about hindrances to the Holy Spirit's ministry in you. But that's for another day. But let's just read a couple of passages of Scripture first. First of all, from Galatians chapter 5, from verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these things are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. So you can see straight away there is a battle going on for you. And uh, I was going to wait till the end to say this, but I'll say it now, the if you are born of God, you are a new creation and that new creation that you are in Christ and the Holy Spirit are moving you, trying to move you towards being filled with the Spirit, of, remaining filled with the Spirit of God, walking in the Spirit. But there is an enemy. There is the old sin nature which hasn't yet gone till, until the resurrection and there is Satan who works on that. He's going to bring temptations across you. He's going to bring doubts. He's going to bring all kinds of things to you. He's going to bring false teaching to you. Uh, so there is a war going on. Christ, the Holy Spirit, working with the new creation that you are in Christ if you are born of God. Satan and the old sin nature working against you. So as we go through today, which, which is what's called retaining the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you'll see there is a battle going on as to where you will be in that. And at the end, we'll, we'll hopefully bring that all together. Now, these, these works are so that you, if, if you're involved in any of these, because these are all part of the sin nature, it's all what Satan wants to keep you involved with, 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So very clearly all those things are evidences that we're not filled with the Spirit of God. On the other hand, there are some evidences that we are. I used to always wonder, how do I know whether I'm filled with the Spirit of God or not? Well, we have evidences. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Which of those two lists would you prefer that your life would, be, would represent your life? But in Romans 8, verses 5 to 8, <coughs> For those who, are, who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Where's your mind set? Where is the focus of your mind? Where is the focus of your life? Which way do you want to go? For to be carnally minded, which is the old nature, is death. It doesn't mean that a Christian can, will lose their salvation, but it means your communion with your Heavenly Father will, will, will not exist. Uh, we all know that when we have a bit of a barney with somebody else, it, it, it causes a division, doesn't it? The relationship suffers. And so if we are carnally minded, if our minds are set on the things of the flesh of this world, uh, that will be death to our relationship with God. But on the other hand, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life, God's life, peace, peace with God. Heather spoke about that earlier, didn't she? She just, she just had peace with God about what to do. And this is part of being filled with the Spirit of God is you have that peace that what you're doing, yes, this is the right thing to do. She didn't hear any lights and flashes or words or anything. She told you that, but she just knew in her heart. And this is one of the ways we know that we are filled with the Spirit of God. Because the carnal mind is at enmity or an enemy of God, at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. These passages concern the battle for, for control of a believer's life and actions. When did it first start? Well, the first record of it is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, where Cain offered up a, didn't offer up the right sacrifice. It wasn't a blood sacrifice. And he complained about it. And God said to him, you can do the right thing. You can offer up the right sacrifice. But if you don't, 
sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. What that means is that if you don't offer the right offering, sin will take control of you. It lies there, its desire is to rule you. But then God goes on to say, but you should rule it. Because we know which way Cain went. We must choose day by day, moment by moment perhaps, whether we are going to walk in the spirit or walk in the flesh. Once again, we must remind ourselves, we're not speaking behind about someone behind their back. The Holy Spirit is here with us. He's present here today, not to condemn. He's here to help. Jesus said, I'm sending a helper. He didn't say, I'm sending a judge. He said, I'm sending a helper. He's here to help you. He's here to help me to walk in the Spirit. His aim is to reveal Jesus Christ to us and to glorify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have this confidence that the Holy Spirit is here present with us. If we're born of God, he is here in a very special sense in that he indwells us permanently. He is your gift to us, a gracious gift to us, not based on merit, but based on your love for us, based on the fact that Christ died for our sins as we've just remembered at the communion table. Not of works that we have done, but because of what you have done at Calvary. You are God's gift to us. The Holy Spirit is Christ's gift to us to indwell us, but also that he might lead our lives, fill our lives, control our lives for our joy, for our peace, and for the glory of God. So we grant grace that we may hear what you're saying to us, each one, that we may know where we're at in our walk with you, that we may know an area where we need to confess sin. We may know whether we truly are born of God or not, but also that we may be able to discern when we are walking in the Spirit and we're walking in the flesh so that we may always walk in the Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three possibilities. The natural the natural man, which is an unsaved person, the carnal person, which is a person who's born of God, but living as though they are not born of God, and the spiritual, the one who uh, is born of God and is walking with the Spirit. Let's just look briefly at those quickly. We could spend, this is sermon number 23 on the Holy Spirit. It could have been 123. There's so much we've gossiped. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man is someone who is not born of God. He has no communion with God. He cannot hear God. Uh, he has no interest in God. He is just born a sinner and has no relationship to God. He is dead in his sins or her sins. 
the carnal man, we've got a few scriptures we'll look at with, risk, with regard to this. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he's writing to the Corinthian church where there, was, uh, where there were Christians, uh, but they were living as though they were not. They were being led by the old sinful nature. And these are, the, these are the things that Paul mentions were evident in that church at that time. And uh, when we see them in, in our churches these days, it's a sad thing too. Fortunately, we don't see them that often, uh, not here. But uh, quarrelling and divisions. Uh, now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. There's also jealousies and strife are evidences of not walking in the spirit. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as do babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, for there are for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So the carnal person is clearly, from this passage, a person who is born of God, but they're living as though they were not born of God. They're living just as an unsaved person is. Another attribute of a carnal person is pride. Unfortunately, this comes to the surface quite frequently, too frequently. Uh, now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively, figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? Who? It's God. God is the one who gives out spiritual gifting. It's not to do with our abilities. Even our abilities come from God. Our opportunities come from God. And what do you have that you did not receive? What did you have when you were born into this world? Just a body. Nothing else. Everything else has been given to you. Now, if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? In other words... No point boasting that you, you have what you have because uh, solely because of yourself. A similar word puffed up here, but I've, the, the context seems to, uh, to my mind to infer arrogance in uh, 1 Corinthians 5.2. And you are puffed up and you have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. The situation was that there was a man... Uh, living in sin in the, in the church. He was uh, li living with his stepmother as husband and wife. And instead of uh, putting him out, uh, pointing out his sin, uh, they were saying, oh, look, you know, the grace of God allows us to do anything we want. And so they were puffed up. They became arrogant. Similar to that is a lax morality. Uh, flee sexual immorality. Every sin, sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, 
You know, we sang the song earlier that we were bought with a price. We're not our own anymore. Whom you have from God and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit belong to God, bought with the price of the blood of Jesus, which we just celebrated. Did you drink the cup? If you drank that cup, that was, you were saying that oh, I am bought. I belong to Christ. My body and my spirit are his. The third is a spiritual man, and we, we'll look at some things later, but just in brief, from Ephesians 5.19, these are evidences that a person is filled with the Spirit of God. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm glad it says speaking, not singing. I can't sing. Uh Uh-oh, it does say singing. Singing and making melody. Oh, in your heart. Good. As long as it's not out the mouth. To the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things. to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I could preach a whole sermon on that one, but just to put it in a nutshell, God has given us different abilities, he's given us different spiritual giftings, he's given us different opportunities of training, of learning, of experience, and so... What it means to submit to another means to, if someone else is in a position where they know better than me or they are able to do better than me, I let them do it. I don't have to rule everything. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've, I've been in situations where, because I've been an elder, people think, oh, you, you, you have to do everything. You're, you're, you're going to make all the decisions. Well, I'm not going to. It's not my role to do everything. I'm not gifted to do everything. And I won't make decisions on things that I think other people are better qualified to make those decisions. Yeah, I get get a bit of flack for that sometimes, but that's the way it is. That is submitting to one another, submitting to someone else who's in a better position or better knowledge, better training, better experience, gifted differently. God is the one who does all that. But giving thanks always for all this. Something's scratching somewhere. I haven't got a beard. I did shave this morning. Giving thanks for all things to God. Why? Because God has engineered everything in your environment. God has engineered. I don't understand it. Why one person suffers more than another. I don't understand why someone goes in this direction, that direction. Why one person is gifted in this area, another person gifted in another area. That's God's doing. Even how we ended up here at Woodhills Church of Christ, there's a whole story behind that. It wasn't something that you know, God told us 50 years ago. You, you, I don't know what's causing that. Anyway. 
So let's move along. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh or walking in the spirit. And you could read Romans 7 to 8 or Galatians 5. We're not going to read it all. We will just read some verses. But from what we've seen already, you can understand there is no compromise uh, or middle ground. You are either walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. All the scriptures are very clear on that. There is a war going on for which way you will walk between the Holy Spirit and the new creation you are in Christ and Satan and sin in the flesh. And Paul writes in Romans 6.13, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. This is your part. You want to get a haircut? You go present yourself to the hairdresser. If you want your members to be served as instruments of righteousness to God, you present yourselves to God as alive, as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is where our choices come in. Which way are we going to go? Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. Something else you have to do to, to, to meet the, the requirements. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fill its lusts. That's a difficult one. Difficult in the sense of because of the world we live in. The temptations come past us a hundred times a day, maybe more, maybe less, but there are always things coming across that we have to make no provision. In other words, we don't go out of our way, we should not go should be tempted. I'm slowing down there because I battled with this. I've battled with it for a long time. It's an area where, before I became a Christian, uh, I yielded. You young people, let me tell you this. Once you yield to a particular sin, it will dog you the rest of your life. Jesus, in his grace, may take that away. But in some cases, he has in my life. In some cases, he has not. And they are a dog. But they are the means by which God keeps reminding me of what I was and of what he is now making me and what he has made me. So it, it's what Satan intends to be a bad thing, God turns it to be a good thing, to be, keep reminding what he has done for me. The believer is constantly being challenged to walk in the spirit. And this is the only hope of victory over sin and a life pleasing for God. You know, when the disciples, Jesus asked the disciples, are you going to leave me too? What was Peter's response? Where else can we go? 
you are the only one who has the words of life. I tell you what, that sentence of Peter's has kept me going multitudes of times because Satan wants to drag you down in depression. He wants to, drag, wants to tempt you away from walking a godly life. But when you have this set mindset that there is nowhere else to go, Jesus is the only one who has the words of life. He is the only one. So beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from freshly lusts which war against the soul. There is a war going on for your soul. If you're not aware of it, I'm sorry. That's, that's dis- I'm sorry you're not aware of it because it's so important. It means that you are so susceptible to being misled, so susceptible to being uh, led into walking in the flesh. Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Which do you want to do? It's your choice. The spirit of God is there able to do it. Remember that the gift of the spirit of God is God's gift to you. Uh, there were times a long time ago now, but well, I, I did think that the filling of the Holy Spirit was something I had to earn or deserve. Um, but for a long time now, I've understood it's not. It's a gift. And so, as uh, Colin read to us, quoted to us from 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the way back to being filled with the Spirit of God and to receive him as a gift denying any merit. If I deserved him, I wouldn't need him. Showing the works of the flesh or the fruit of the spirit. Paul was very sure of who was controlling the Christians in Corinth. It was the flesh. It was Satan through the flesh. And when we are controlled by the flesh, by sin in the flesh, the outcome is predictable. We may not be giving evidence of all of these all of the time. In fact, I doubt we would. It'd be a pretty awful person that did. But if they are part of your life, and we could spend a whole message going through all these different ones, what they mean, this is where you need to be reading your Bibles yourself, studying the Bible for yourself. I can't do it all for you. Neither can Pastor Neil, by the way. But Galatians 5.19, which we did read earlier, now the works of the flesh are evident. Now this is evidences of us walking in the flesh. These, this will typify our life if we are walking in the flesh. If we are a carnal Christian, uh, they will also be evident at times, depending on circumstances. But now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, <coughs> uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, in other words, bad temper, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, irreveries and the like, which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm sure you're saying, well, gee, I've never done all those things. 
Well, if you've done any, even partly of one of them, it shows that you have the, the sinful nature in you and are capable uh, of it. You notice, we'll just go back there, you notice that all of those uh, are selfish and they're all aggressive and they reject God's standards of purity and holiness and they're therefore evidences of one who's not controlled by the Spirit of God, not filled with the Spirit of God. In Romans 8, 5 to 8, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Again, we read that earlier, but where is your mind generally set? When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, during the course of the day, where is your mind focusing? I know you've got lots of other things going on in your lives. We all do. But generally, where is your mind set? For to be carnally minded is death. And I mentioned before that is not... Not that you lose your salvation, but it does mean that your communion with God is broken. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So when we're doing those things, when we, those things are evident in our lives, we know that we're not pleasing to God. And, of course, that's where 1 John 1, 9 comes in and the like passages. We, we confess, Lord, I'm not where I sh you want me to be. I've done this, I've done that, or not done this, not done that. And you put it right with God first. All those things were selfish and aggressive, not according to standards of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is quite different. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You notice that they are all unselfish. Quite the contrary. And they are totally in accord with the character of God. I was listening to a sermon you know, a little over a week ago, it wasn't in preparation for this sermon, but a person from another church in another state, so no one you know, not a denominational church that I'm aware of, but I was just listening to it because it was, I wanted to find out something about that particular church. And they just happened to have a sermon recorded on the Holy Spirit. And in this verse, he, he didn't quote scripture accurately. He said, but the fruits of the Spirit. And you know, from then on, pretty much everything else was wrong too. You know, when you misread Scripture, there is a consequence to it. There is only one fruit of the Spirit. It's like an orange. It's probably a good, good example I can think of. It has a number of sections, but it's one orange. And the reason that the fruit of the Spirit is just one fruit in nine, nine different aspects given is because it's a description of God. It's a description of the nature of God. This is what God is. It's what the Holy Spirit is. It's what Jesus Christ is. It describes them. There are other descriptions in Scripture as well, but this is a, a condensed 
description of God. His love, his joy, his peace, his long-suffering, aren't we all glad of that? He's patient with us. He's kind. He's good. He's faithful. He is ever so gentle. And he is self-controlled. But it's all or nothing. You can't say, well, I'll, I'll have the love, but I don't want the long-suffering. It's, it's all or nothing because you can't receive part of the Holy Spirit. You cannot receive part of Jesus Christ. You can't receive part of God the Father. It's all or nothing. And so the person who is filled with the Spirit of God will give evidence of all of these, not necessarily equally because life circumstances will determine which one comes to the fore. But there are a lot of passages like that in the Bible where it tells us what we should be or can be, but they are also a description of who God is. But our lifestyle will depend on actions that we take. You know, we get to make, we, we can choose what lifestyle we want. God will not force it on you. He's given us a free will. But there are consequences uh, for which way we go. In Colossians 3.5, he says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And he gives an examples. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. That's something we do to prepare ourselves to meet the conditions that the Spirit of God can fill us. Galatians 5.24 And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And again, Romans 13.14 But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfil its lusts. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, if you're allowing the spirit of God to fill you or to control you, you will not go down the path of fulfilling the sinful lusts that come from the fallen nature. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Makes sense, doesn't it? If, if, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, let him lead you, let him teach you, let him lead your life, let him control you. That's where we get back to the, the original command that we looked at last time, Ephesians 5:15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Now, don't waste time on this, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What's the will of the Lord? Do not be drunk with wine, 
in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. God's will for you is that you be filled with the Spirit. What has God done in order that you might be filled with the Spirit? We just did it at the community table. Christ died on the cross. So it is possible for you and me to be filled with the Spirit. That's how much he wants you to be filled with the Spirit. These three circles represent three kinds of people. Three kinds, there are only three. Three that we've just looked at briefly today. The natural person, the carnal person, the spiritual person. The natural person, you'll see their life circle. God is on the outside. Self is on the throne. I will dictate how I live. I will choose what I do as a career. I will choose who my friends are. I will choose what behaviour I will conduct. God has no say. This is a person who is unsaved. I believe that the moment a person comes to faith in Christ and asks him to save them, to forgive their sins, and they are born of God, they immediately go to being a spiritual person, the third one. which is the circle of life, the person is still in it, self is still in it, but Christ is on the throne. He's calling the tune. He's directing. He's leading. He's teaching. He's guiding. But there are a number of things that come into our lives that, and this is what we'll be looking at in more detail next time, that can turn us into a carnal person. Now it's a person who, yes, is saved, but we've reverted back to living the life of a person who is unsaved, which is what Paul was addressing to the Corinthian church. And you'll see in there that in that life circle that yes, Christ is in the life, but look who's on the throne. Self is on the throne. Which one of these represents you best? God's plan and purpose is that you be a spiritual person filled with his spirit. But there are things that happen in our lives, even if we are born of God, there are things that will... Satan can use sin in the flesh to distract us, to tempt us, to deceive us, or we may even choose to sin. But there is always the way back because of the cross. Because of the cross, he died for all sin, not just the past sin that we've done, present, future, all sin. There is always the way back to being a spiritual person. And it's God's gift. You must, you will ne- if you try to merit it, you will fail. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Plenty have tried. You'll end up being the centre person, the carnal person. It's for you to evaluate which one best represents your life.
And of course, the next question is, which circle do you want to represent your life? What do you want? The Spirit of God will help you if you want to be a spiritual person. He will help you. He will lead you. He will teach you. He will guide you. You'll have the whole power of God behind you. But if you don't want that, as I, I think I've shared with you once before, years ago when I worked in the bank, I was sharing the gospel with a, a, a girl. Uh, and um, she said, well, I've, I've been to confirmation, but now I'm going to live my life the way I want to. When I die, God can have what's left. Well, clearly she's a, a natural person. But in a sense, it symbolises too what might be a carnal Christian is someone that has received the benefits of the cross at some point but then at a later time have decided no I want to go back the other way and there is a consequence of that of course it's spiritual death they have no communion with God and they don't have the peace of God they don't have the characteristics of God so the Holy Spirit and the believer Part three, retaining the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I hope that we've seen enough scriptures to give you the evidences so that you can know whether you are filled with or whether you are not. If, if, you, if you don't think you are, you go talk to the Lord about it. Say, look, I want to be filled with your spirit. I will receive the filling now as a gift. He won't, you won't get receive him as in the fullness of the spirit any other way but a gift. If you try to merit it, you will fail. The Holy Spirit is God's gift. If there is any sin or anything in your life, behaviour, attitude or anything like that that is of the carnal nature, the Spirit of God will point it out to you. You don't have to go and do a search of your life and research every minute, every second of your life. If there's any, in, anything in your life that the Spirit of God wants to get rid of, in order that he might fully have control of your life, he will point it out. If he doesn't, then it's not for you to be digging around in your dirty washing, so to speak. He will do that for you at the right time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit has been present with us. We trust that each one of us now knows where we stand before you in relation to being a natural man, a natural person, a carnal person, or a spiritual person, one who's walking in the spirit or one who's walking in the flesh. Lord, you've heard our heart's desire. I trust that for all of us that desire is to be walking in the spirit, to be spiritually minded, and therefore we ask that in your great grace, because of the cross of Jesus, because of the blood shed at Calvary, that you take each of us from where we are on that path to being spiritually minded, to be filled with your spirit, that we may do all things to glorify you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.